Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Sutton service. To hear talks from each of our services, please visit christchurchlondon.org. Morning, everyone. Um, It's me again, Catherine. Um, So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Catherine. Um, I am often in kids' work with all the wonderful 155 million children that we have in church. Um, And it is a pleasure to be with you today. Um, My husband is normally um, one of the drummers, and I have two little humans called Eden and Jacob, who are great. Um, And yeah, we've been at Christchurch now for three years and I often still feel new I know it sounds funny but I say to people oh is this your first time they're like I've been here six months and I'm like how do I not know everyone so um yeah I think we all kind of feel new in a little way but um yeah that's a little intro about me um and today we are going to have some time in the word and then just hopefully some time for extended prayer and worship and and I'd really love if we could just really open ourselves up to that so I have shortened I promise I have shortened this talk to give us enough time for us just to have that ministry time so I'm expecting that God is just going to move so um, I'm going to open up in prayer and then get started father I thank you so much for today I thank you that you are here in the midst of us I pray for your presence and I pray for your power to be made evident I pray that you will speak in and through me, that you will take full control. And I pray that your heart will be conveyed to everybody here. I pray that I speak what you have to speak today, Lord, and I pray that you would move in our midst. We welcome you here. Have your way. Amen. Amen. So... Have you ever seen somebody do something that you've really wanted to do? Something that you might have really wanted to learn? Something really cool, something really exciting? Well, um, as many of you will know here, I am really cool and I'm really exciting. And I do really cool and exciting things. So I've decided I'm going to show you some of the cool and exciting things that I've done. They're going to appear on the screen. That's me, windsurfing. See me on the waves and the sea. I don't know why you're laughing. That's me. Um, Next one. Oh, snowboarding. That's me, snowboarding. Love a bit of snowboarding. Got all the gear. That's me, snowboarding. Next one, please. And this is me. This is really, really great. Skydiving, guys. I've had the most wonderful time skydiving. So from from your laughter, you can actually just see this is just a really bad copy and paste job. Um, that I actually had to get for me to help me with because I couldn't even do it myself. Um, so I didn't even make the slides myself. There you go. Um, but this is really, I thought about this and I thought this is exactly what the passage that we're going to be reading about today is about. It's not really about skydiving and windsurfing, but it is about watching and looking and seeing the example of something that you really want to do and learning from it. And our text today is going to be taken from Luke 11, 1 to 4. And this is exactly what happened. And I'm just going to read it for you. For those of you who want to open up your Bibles, Luke 11, 1 to 4. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. 
Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. So 2,000 years ago, the disciples welcomed Jesus back from his um, regular time of prayer. And they asked him that one of the greatest petitions of all time, Lord, one of them said, teach us to pray. As the disciples had listened to Jesus, as they had seen his dynamic prayer life, they wanted to learn not only to pray, but to pray like him. And Jesus responds by giving them one of the greatest prayers in world history. And as a result, the disciples go on to have an extraordinary prayer time and a prayer life. Their shadows um, heal people. Sometimes with a handkerchief, they could heal people. They burst, pull out Peter, sorry, out of prison. They intercede until buildings shake. They receive revelations that change nations. And I have to be honest that when I um, was asked to do, give this talk and I found out it was going to be on prayer, I was like, oh Lord, my heart sank a little bit. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel when we talk about prayer, I feel a sense of guilt, a sense of shame, like I'm not a ninja prayer warrior. And I don't even carry handkerchiefs, let alone heal anyone with a handkerchief. Sometimes I feel like I don't pray enough. I don't feel like I'm praying well enough. I don't feel like I'm praying good enough. I don't feel like I'm like an expert prayer warrior. But in all honesty, regardless of how I feel about my prayer life, as followers of Jesus, if we are to live like him, if we're to learn from him, if we're to love like he loves, then we need to learn to pray and we need to have communication and intimacy with him. A real relationship with Jesus means walking with him daily and talking with him intimately. And Pete Gregg says, um, to be human is to pray. And I think that's quite a powerful statement. And in one of his talks, he gives a really great example and an illustration of a man named Paul. And early into Pete's marriage to his wife, Sammy, he meets this man named Paul, who was a local drug dealer who had become a follower of Jesus. And becoming a follower of Jesus was the easy part for Paul because he accepted Christ, but he needed to get free of drugs. And once a week, Sunday service was not going to do it for Paul. So Pete and his wife, Sammy, invited Paul into their home and he lived with them for a couple of months as he journeyed in his recovery. He needed a whole reboot. And so a few months into this process, Pete um, explains that Paul's father passed away. And there was a lot of complexities in the relationship that Paul had with his father. And Pete knew that this would be potentially a trigger or a, a, a trigger for relapse for, um, for Paul. And so Paul said to, um, he says to Pete that he's going to, he's going to go and visit his stepmom in the home in which his dad was living and, you know, try and make some peace and get some resolution and closure to this, um, to this tragedy. So Paul makes his way and he meets his stepmom and his stepmom says to him, you know, there isn't much of an inheritance. There isn't much that your father left for you financially, but I'd love for you to have something that you'd like to remember him by. You can have anything in the house. You can go upstairs, go to bedroom, have anything you like. So Paul makes his way up to the bedroom and he looks round and he decides to take a jumper. And so every time 
Paul wears the jumper, he feels close to his father. He feels it's, you know, this really sentimental piece. And whenever Pete used to see Paul wearing the jumper, he'd be like, oh, he's having a moment. He's feeling close to his dad, he's having a moment. And Pete never had the heart to tell Paul the jumper was far too tight. It wasn't his color. It didn't suit him. Just said, let him be. He's having a moment with his dad. And so um, eventually, a few, again, a few, a few weeks later, um, Paul's mum decides to visit um, Pete in, visit, sorry, Paul in um, Pete's home. And he, she makes the trip down this time. And Paul says to Pete, oh, do you think it would be good for me to wear the jumper that mum's coming? I'll, I'll walk down and wear the jumper. Paul goes, yeah, that's a, that's a really, sorry, Pete goes, that's a really good idea. Yeah, yeah, wear the jumper. So his stepmom is sat in, you know, the living room having a cup of tea. And uh, Paul walks down with the jumper on and she looks at him and she says, why have you got my jumper on? I've been looking for it for ages. Why are you wearing my jumper, Paul? And this was supposed to be a really sentimental time. And why do I tell this story? But actually, often, we fill our lives with things that give us a false proximity to the Father. We can live our whole lives having an almost vicarious faith. We confuse sentimentality with spirituality. And we get caught up in activity and doing and, and filling it with middlemen when actually the Holy Spirit is asking us to cut out the middleman and come directly to him. When will you just talk with me? Just you and me. And I believe the Holy Spirit is imploring us and calling us back to a place of prayer. To put away all distraction and to come back into intimate and direct relationship with the Father. Um, we can fill our life with so much activity. Often in my community group, everyone laughs at me because they look at my calendar and it is uh, jam-packed. That we seem to talk a lot about God and we're not really talking to him. It can often feel um, easier to do things for God than to actually just talk with God. Our English word prayer comes from the Latin word precarious because we, we, we pray because life is precarious. We pray because life is uncertain. We pray because life is unpredictable. We pray because it's marvelous and it's surprising. The Didache, which is the oldest instruction we have for worship in the church, encourages the church of Jesus Christ from its early days to pause and to pray. And actually, the encouragement from the Didache is that we pause and that we pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. And actually, this would make sense because committed Jews would have stopped and prayed three times a day the Shema. Hear, Lord, o, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So there's very good reason to believe that as New Testament believers, we are to pause and pray. And when we pause and we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are stepping into something that is ancient and almost in the genetic code of the body of Christ. It is primal. Now, Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer is a bit different to the one that maybe you've learned, like I did Matthew's version, which is a bit longer. And this is almost like a stripped down version. 
Um, and I think there's a lot of scholars who have got into, well, is it the same? Should we, pre- should we pray it just like that? Well, actually, it, the prayer was never really intended to repeat it verbatim. It was an instruction. It was a pattern for prayer. So I would suggest that actually the difference in the length is irrelevant. Actually, it's the meaning that is most important. And as I said, we're going to have a slightly shorter service because I would love for us to have some time for prayer and for ministry. But I am going to take out some five P's from the Lord's Prayer. It's like a real preacher. Five P's from the Lord's Prayer. This is when you go, mm-hmm, amen, amen. Um, five P's from the Lord's Prayer. And this is from Ralph, Adele Ralph Davis. And the first P, for those of you taking notes, um, person. We pray to the Father. A father who we have direct relationship with and who loves us. We pray to a person, not just to an empty universe or an inanimate deity. We pray to a person who has thoughts and feelings, a will, and who loves to communicate with us and reveal himself to us. Fathers in the Greco-Roman and culture, and I remember actually one of my first preachers when I was um, speaking about like Greco-Roman culture and Femi had, because he um, likes the game and he, there's, I don't know, there's like Roman theme games. This shows you how much I don't care about gaming, but there's a lot of Greek themes, right? To all the gamers out there, yeah, Greek, Greek themes. In, and, um, but the Greco-Roman fathers were savage. They would decide if their son or their child would live or die or be sold. It was quite different to the fatherhood that we would see today. And what Luke is introducing is a completely radical image of the father. One who is loving. One who has um, complete attention and attentiveness to his children. In our faith, the father-child relationship is based on the confidence of the child. Just want you to process that. The father-child relationship is based on the confidence of the child. The relationship is centered on love and not fear. And unlike the Greco-Roman father, the God of the New, God the Father, the New Testament is personal, is intimate, and is a trusted authority. Sometimes people who don't have a relationship with God refer to him as like, I don't know, the man upstairs, the big guy. Just like random, silly terms. But as children of God, we get to know him as Abba Father, as God the Father. And in order for us to pray confidently and rightly, we have the privilege of calling him God the Father. And one pastor explains this this sentiment, and I'm sure this is before mobile phones, unless this wouldn't make sense. But he says, I have a really busy schedule and... Often his um, secretary, Patty, I have to say Patty like that because no one is called Patty, just like, no. So Patty, his secretary, Patty, would screen all his calls and make sure that no like salesman who wants to sell him stuff for like how to build a mega church and what to do to get more ties into the church would get through to him. And he said, you know, Patty was so amazing because she would screen all the calls and he would never get these type of calls. But there is one call that would always go directly to him. And that was the call of, I need to speak to my dad. And that is the exact thing that we have as children of God. We have direct access to the father because he is our father. We don't have a paddy that screens our calls. We have a direct line to the father. 
second one is preeminence. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Yes, we get to call God Abba Father. He is our Father, He is Dad. But He is also preeminent, He also is hallowed, He also is holy. And the word hallowed means sacred or holy. It means to be set apart. And the Greek word is hagiozo. And that is to treat with holy reverence. And for me, this is where I come back to being a Nigerian child. Because my mom is still mom, but she is definitely holy as well. You don't play with a Nigerian mother, okay? You don't play. You treat her with reverence and she is preeminent. She has power. So I totally understand this from my perspective. He is Abba Father, but he is still holy. And when we pray this line, we focus and realign and center our focus on God as holy, as set apart. And we pray your kingdom come. We are asking God to manifest his power and his glory. We serve a God who is powerful and has glory. And we pray that, that he reigns over all. The third one is provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Now I love this, is that we pray for our needs, not our greeds. That God gives us bread, but he doesn't necessarily guarantee that we have Nutella on it. It's that kind of vibe. We pray for provision and we pray for that dependence and need on him. And it's often, it's a bit strange because we don't want to, if you're honest with yourselves, have to pray for your daily bread. We'd love to be in a position where we are rich or we're well off enough and comfortable enough to not have to believe and trust God for our daily provision. But we are to be dependent on him for every spiritual, material and emotional need. That is what he is calling us to. That is his desire for us. And I don't think that God wants us poverty stricken, but he does want us in a habit of relying on him for everything. The 19th century um, pastor, if we go to the next slide, um, George Muller, he is a pastor and a philanthropist. He founded over 117 schools. He, help, he helped and housed over 10,000 orphans. He educated over 120 children, thousand children. He traveled over 200,000 miles by ship across the globe, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and encouraging Christians for mission. On one occasion, he was accused of raising the poor above their station. That's a, that's a good accusation. But what was extraordinary about this man, George Muller, is that he consistently refused to ask for money. He relied on God for everything. And it is, it is estimated that he prayed in over 120 million pounds. And sometimes his prayers were incredibly practical. There's a really great and famous account of when he had um, over, like over 100 orphans sat down for breakfast. Their bowls were empty. Their plates were empty. There, were no, there was nothing in their cups or their bowls. There was no money to buy any food for them. 
But yet Müller stands and he prays this prayer. Dear Father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. And as he finishes that prayer, there is a knock on the door. And the baker is stood there and he says, Mr. Müller, I could not sleep last night. I really felt that God wanted me to, to bake some bread for you. So I got up at 2 a.m. in the morning and I, break fre- and I baked fresh bread and have brought it for you. And just as Mr. Muller had thanked the baker, there was a second knock at the door. And there was the milkman whose cart had just broken down outside of the orphanage. And he said that he needed to give away the fresh milk so that he could fix and repair his cart. This is, give us this day our daily bread. Daily provision. Trusting and believing God for everything. Number four, pardon. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. We pray to God to give us, to forgive us afresh. When we have not prioritized his kingdom in our life and when we sought to establish our own kingdoms and priorities. We pray for for just the recognition that we have sinned and fallen short. Lord, I've messed up. Lord, I need your grace. I need your help. And as followers of Jesus, sin loosens its power over us, but we do need to recognize and take it seriously. And we pray for our forgiveness and we pray the Lord's Prayer in recognition that we need his forgiveness. Thank you so much. And this quote from Frederick Buchner, um, to confess your sins to God is not to tell God anything God doesn't already know. Until you confess them, however, they are the abyss between when you confess them they become the golden gate bridge it is not what stands um our sin isn't what keeps us away from god but it is our unconfessed sin that creates that abyss and we have the privilege and the honor to come to god in our honesty and in our realness and just say i've messed up forgive me lord and the last one protection and lead us not into temptation. We pray for protection because we are vulnerable to temptation. We are vulnerable from not giving God his, his preeminence, his place over our lives and over our work. And we pray that he keeps us from the evil one and from evil. 